insurance agents from around the world, welcome to the Insurance Guys podcast, powered by Glovebox. God, I love Glovebox. My name is Scott Howell, your fearless host and leader, insurance agency owner and insurance evangelist for I Protect Insurance and Financial Services, based out of Huntsville, Alabama. And before we get started on today's episode, please help me welcome, he is a six foot three sophomore from Mobile, Alabama, parade first team All-American, rivals five-star recruit. He is a fantastic insurance agent and my friend. Ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together and welcome the incomparable Mr. Bradley Flowers. How are you, Bradley? Great, Scott. How are you? Best I have ever been. This is it, Bradley. Last podcast of the day. Two-day extravaganza in Mobile. I'm, I'm exhausted. Ab- I'm about to get in my vehicle and drive halfway across the world back to Huntsville, Alabama. <laughs> Basically. And I'll probably be home tonight around 10, but that's okay. Hey, I've done a lot worse in my life, I can promise you. Hey, I, I had days... I have had times in my life when I was a single man, I'd have driven five hours to go see a girl in a heartbeat <laughs> and been wide awake trying to get there. Bradley, you had a story to tell today. Just something tell kind of funny that just happened. So, you know, they, they say that you're the sum of the five people you hang around with. Sure. And, and you know, show me your friends. You know, all those quotes. Show me your friends. I'll show you your future, all that kind of right. stuff. And I have one have been guilty in the past of having friends that were not necessarily bad but just not yeah. a not not very ambitious that sort of thing not, so I, not one of the five you'd probably right yeah so i have two buddies here this is how you know you have the right friends so i have two buddies that just bought a plane together okay not i'm not involved but these two buddies bought a plane and i'm in a group message with them and i guess this is how rich people make fun of each other right. i'm not i wouldn't know sure but they are one and they're both they both have their sport pilot's license which basically is you can fly and go back to the same airport you can't travel and you need to be flying in good weather if they yeah and if they travel they they have to hire a pilot or whatever so they are sending each other's flight patterns in this group message and making fun of how each other is flying that's hilarious and and one of the guys just said so my buddy does a lot of our IT work for free just to help out since we built the business from the ground up. He told me the other day, don't even think about any more free work. And I said, why? And he said, I cut that crap out when you got your first airplane. So anyway, I guess I'm in the right friend group. I'm not sure. So I, th- I just thought that was kind of funny. I'm like, wow, like me and my friends send memes back and forth to each other, making funny to you were talking about your flight pattern here looks terrible, Jeffrey. Right. Anyway. So to, to piggyback off Bradley's story, one of my best friends who I grew up with, we've known each other, been friends since we were like kindergarten. He sells Cessna airplanes and jets, works for a major airplane manufacturer. In fact, won their top salesman of the year award last year and makes a bunch of money. And we were together on that guy's lake trip three or four weeks ago. And I was asking him a couple of questions about selling airplanes to high net worth people. And I'm not going to name any names, but the people that, a lot of people would know with Daniel fam- Song and stuff. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Famous people that uh, he sells planes to. And the one thing that caught me that he said, he looked at me and he said, you know, the thing about owning a plane, Scott, you know, like a, like a real plane, yeah. you know, small jet. He goes, people just don't understand how much money you have to have to own one. It's the maintenance and the yeah. fuel and yeah. It's You're not saving money. money compared to flying first no, class somewhere. No, no. no. 
Now, I have always said that I would venture into, if I needed it, maybe I was in some kind of niche where I needed to fly around the entire United States pretty good bit, a lot more than we do. Yeah. I would look at fractional ownership. 100%. 100%. 100%. You know, in like one of those, uh, what's name one? There's NetJet. Three, NetJet, something like Marquee. that. Marquee. Yeah. Because even though that would be a ton of money for me, it would be a whole lot less money than owning well, a jet. Well, it's kind of like, so I have a client that has not a jet, but not a Cessna. It's kind of in between. Right. The, the inside of it looks like a private jet, but it's not a jet. Right. And uh, they have a, a, a multi-state real estate company, so they have to, they have to get places. Right. And... It doesn't cost him a ton of money to operate it. I had a uh, state association reach out to me that I ended up not I ended up not taking it, but wanted me to speak. And it was at a really inconvenient time. It was in, I'm not going to say the state it was in. And it, I just wasn't able to make it work because now with the baby, it's really hard for me to be gone three or four days in a row. And this was right before another trip, but not close enough that I could hit it in one swoop. Right. And so I said, well, let's, let me just see how much this would be. And ended up, it was like, $2,800 for me to go to this state. That's not bad. Not terrible. That's a first class, but, that's a first class he, ticket. But what he, not for this state. It's not far oh, away. Okay. But what he told me is he's like, basically what you have to look at it is it turns you go. Let's just say it was, let's say it was Oklahoma. He said it turns you going to Oklahoma into like driving to Pensacola and back. Right. In terms of the amount of time it takes right. and the level of tired you are. And for those of sure. you listening, Pensacola is about an hour and 10 minutes away. Sure. So I was like, well, that's real interesting. If you're a, a CEO of a big company and you can afford to piss yeah. away a little bit of money, right. to, you know, I, I, I get it. I get it. But you're not going to save money compared to buying a first class flight, but you're going to save time. I will say this. And I had a conversation on the same trip with another kindergarten friend of mine who we talk every day via say kindergarten student via via what we have a whatsapp uh group message whatsapp i'm on it so complicated i'm on it with those guys and he i I did not realize until he and i talked he works for another major carrier's vp of uh, legal one of their legal guys i didn't realize every major carrier in the united states has their own private oh yeah you know, oh yeah! You roll down the list nationwide, all state mm-hmm. travelers, Liberty Mutual. They all have a this. lot of times they hide the tail number too because yeah. they don't want customers being like, "Well, that's where my premium dollars right. are going," sure. and that sort of thing. Sure. Yeah, it's uh, it's real interesting, man. It's real interesting. These guys, this, these guys don't want a jet. It's it's a Cessna type yeah. type plane. Sure. Anyway, guys, we've got a special podcast for you today, and it's something I did not know. Bradley booked our guest today. But over the past couple of weeks, I had actually been thinking about what we were going to talk about today relative to this podcast guest, because the niche that he's in in the insurance industry, I am wildly interested in, but at the same time have always told myself I would never get in Mm -hmm. because we already got one E&O claim on the books right now. <laughs> and if we ever tried to do this, we'd probably get in about seven of them in about six months. Because th- to me, this is one of those niches. If you don't know what you're doing, yep. you about to get in a whole bunch of damn trouble. And that niche specifically is trucking, transportation. Mm-hmm. And... All I know about transportation and mid to large and even small trucking companies 
is you can screw this up in a hurry. You really know what you're doing. Now, you guys do some transportation. A little bit. A little bit, yeah. I can't, Not as much as our guests. I yeah. can't imagine. But I, I want to bring him on so we can talk about all this. Guys, our mission on this podcast every week is to do one thing. Help you guys move the ball one step forward to the end zone so that you can live the life that you deserve to live, that you can have the freedom. I'll just go ahead and say it. I don't, I'm not embarrassed to say it. To have the life that Bradley and I have, to have the freedom that we have, to be able to come down here for two days and afford to stay in a hotel and do podcasting for two days, knowing that I've got great people back in the office right now working and keeping every all the balls and all the chainsaws juggled. I want that for each and every one of you because there's a whole bunch of people right now that couldn't come down here and podcast if they wanted to. And the reason is they got to be in the office because they don't have any help or they don't have somebody that can sell twenty, thirty, fifty, a hundred thousand dollars in premium accounts while I'm down here podcasting. There's a whole lot of people out there like that. So my job and our podcast guest job today is to help you gain that freedom that all three of us on this podcast today know that you deserve to have. So without further ado, I want to bring him on. Ladies and gentlemen, he was born, raised, and lives in Spokane, Washington. He is married to the beautiful Ashley, and he has two beautiful babies, Harper, age 10, and Hadley, age 7. And I'm going to say the same thing to him that I say to every podcast guest. These two babies don't give a shit about listening to you on this podcast today. But in 20 or 30 years, because this podcast will live in perpetuity, they are going to be so proud of their daddy when they listen to the show. He started his insurance career at the beginning of 2008. Boy, that was a fantastic time to get in the industry. (laughs) Same time I did. He and I have been in it the exact same time, amount of time. And started in a commercial sales role working with contractors and trucking. Don't get me started on contractors. Oh, we're going to talk about that. He left that agency in 2012. Not the first time I've ever heard that. In 2010, he joined the firm All Lines Associates. And in 2014, became a partner of the firm. I find that interesting. Took four years. He also started the division of Valley Trucking Insurance in 2007. Ladies and gentlemen, it is my profound honor today to introduce to you first-time guest on the IGP, Mr. Cameron Pichy. How are you, Cameron? What's up, fellas? Thank you guys for having me. More importantly, though, I do want to thank you guys for what you're doing for the agency because I feel like when I started in 08, in contractors mind you so oh. it was probably about the hardest go you could possibly make coming into insurance you start, wait, stacked it against me you started in contractors in 2008 i knew nothing else man i literally cold called out of the phone book contractors trying to bid their insurance was kind of the pitch that i did at the time that was my first couple years in insurance was straight cold calling contractors real quick scott list off all the things you would rather do than insure a contractor <laughs> I would rather be captured as a Ukrainian soldier and put into some type of prison camp in Russia uh, up in Siberia, breaking big rocks into little rocks and eating fish heads for dinner every night. Cameron, this is the most unbelievable thing I have ever heard, and I'm going to tell you why. I have got a friend of mine. And I'm even going to call out the agency because I don't give a shit. I told y'all this morning on a previous podcast, my give a damn button broke 
And so I just don't care. If, if anybody wants to sue me, just sue me. I got 450 lawyers I can call. I don't care. I have got a friend of mine. He was kind of a mentor of mine in the industry up in Birmingham, Alabama. Got fired, fired from McGriff Siebel's. You heard of McGriff Siebel's? Have. This son of a gun was one of the best insurance agents I have ever met in my entire life. And he built a mammoth book of business off general contractors and home builders in Birmingham, Alabama. When the recession slash depression hit in 2008, Mm -hmm. all those contractors, you couldn't give a house away. Mm -hmm. All of his clients went out of business, filed for bankruptcy. How on God's green earth, Cameron, on this podcast, starts insurance, probably didn't know shit. If he's like me, he didn't know shit from shampoo when he started, and built a business in 2008 when I've got guys been in it 10 or 15 years getting fired on on contractor business is the eighth wonder of the world. Mm-hmm. How on earth did you do that? Please. Well, I think, um, as you had said, I don't know shit. I didn't know shit at the time. All I knew is that I got to call people, get some information, try to pick up some knowledge and sell it to them. Mm. And that's, that was kind of my go, man. So ignorance, I think would have been a big thing. Perseverance, you know, growing up in, you know, not the the best environment. We didn't have the most money. You know, my mom was a single mom had a bunch of siblings. So it was kind of fight, fight, cost, scratch your way through it. And I think I was just wired and built that way, man. I found success early. I think in the first, and let me go back, you know, I was 20, what was I? 22, 21, 22 coming into this. My first couple of weeks cold calling, I think three weeks in, two, three weeks in, I landed an account and made like $3,000 commission. So you were hooked. I'm like, Oh my holy shit! That's got some of that cracker off in, boy. You were hooked. <laughs> yeah, so so that was an early hook in me, and I still remember the account. In fact, I had them for years, even kind of moving along, and then they ended up outgrowing me, uh, rightfully so at the time, right. um, and, and moved on. But I, I'll never forget that, and that's kind of what hooked me into this uh, industry. And then years and years later the compound effect of, you know, residual income and the mentorship and the people that I've met and the opportunity it presented and the lifestyle, as you guys um, had mentioned, I'm so blessed and so grateful to be where I'm at. And um, for what you guys do kind of circling all the way back around, thank you guys for, 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 for providing a platform where people can get that mentorship and learning and just get kicked in the face with knowledge that I never had. I had to do it straight by the streets and scrapping every step of the way. And back then, you know, these agency owners I talked to, they don't want to share their secrets and mm-hmm. they'd be competition and don't want to help you. And I never understood that mentality, but here we are. So. Right. And I appreciate you saying that, Cameron. Hey, you and I started same year. What month did you start in 08? So I officially was licensed in March, but I actually took the steps to get licensed and get into insurance and start figuring out this is what I was going to do going to school at the time in 07, end of 07. So, so I think I got licensed in April of 08, if I'm not mistaken. Man, I got a month on you. You do. You're old timer, old head. I'm, I'm going to say this. <laughs> OG. A bunch of old farts on here with me. I really, I really appreciate you saying something about what we're trying to do over here with helping agents. That was the entire onus of starting mm-hmm. this podcast is when I started in 08, I just noticed up until I met Bradley, and I told a story on the previous podcast about how long I took to try to make a decision to get in the, the right place in mm-hmm. insurance when I started. I noticed there just wasn't a whole lot of people that really wanted to help you. 
Like, well, they'd meet with you and they'd talk. Yeah, it's great, man. It's good. And, you know, we've done well over here. And But uh, there wasn't no whole lot of, like, uh-huh. real meat and potatoes of how to help people. Well, and the thing, too, is when you start in this industry, too, and you don't have a resource like this podcast or a killing commercial or, or some sort of right. place to get just real unbiased advice, you have to take your manager or your boss's word for it. Correct. And there's so many people that I think about that their career trajectory probably went in a, in the opposite of direction of where it should have gone because they took the advice of somebody. They didn't know any better, but it's kind of like, you know, if you and I start walking, right, and you're one degree off, Right. There's some t- statistic on how far off we'll be right. of the path to success, sure, right? Sure, And, I mean, I think about my first two bosses in the insurance industry. I told a story about one last night that was telling me not to take a job at a place, not to take a job at a place, not to take a job at a place. It'd be the worst mistake I ever made. Mm-hmm. And now he still works there. Right. Because he ended up going there a few years later. You know, so right. it's you think about now that I'm kind of – in the know of a lot of things, I think about, good gosh, I got some bad advice in the beginning. Right, right. And you don't know that. And maybe, and maybe, and and I hate to defend him because I'm always going to defend Bradley no matter what decision he makes. I'm always going to be on his team. But I think if he was sitting here with us today at this table, previous boss, I think he would probably say some of the same things you're saying relative to maybe back then he didn't know. And so he's he, he didn't know yeah. he was giving you bad advice. Does I that think, make sense? Yeah, I think some people, too, have a hard time, especially in a managerial role. Mm-hmm. Parsing out. Well, you have – I mean, it's like I was telling somebody the other day, they were talking about their manager at a company, and I said, you have to, here's what you have to understand. The person I was talking to was trying to drive change mm-hmm. through the manager at their company. Right. I said, here's what you have to understand. At the end of the day, he or she is going to make sure their butt is covered. They're not going to push anywhere past the the degree in which their butt gets in trouble. Right. So you're working against that too. Right. So you may not get, when you approach them with this idea for change, you may not get the response you want, but just know, don't take that personally. It's just, hey, why am I going to mess up my pension right. for this person? So you deal with a lot of that too with managers. It's like, yeah, they're going to tell you to some degree, what you want to hear and help you grow. But at the same time, their goal is to try to keep you there. That's why I tell everybody here at Portal, like, hey, look, I understand that the average millennial only works at a job 2.8 years and the average person now only works at a job five. And I manage from that standpoint. Too many people are managing from the standpoint of, I want to keep this person here 20 years. But if you manage from the standpoint of, hey, I understand they're only going to be here five. Then it, you, your mindset almost shifts to helping them grow mm-hmm. and understanding that, hey, this is going to be the best jumping off point, not your forever home. Listen, I tell my people all the time, I don't know why they get upset, nervous about coming to tell me to tell me they're leaving or that they're going to start their own thing. I, if it's handled correctly, right. that's, that's another big point. I welcome you to go somewhere else yeah. or or go start your own thing. And that is the most beautiful dovetail into the question. Cameron, I was looking at your bio last night, and then I looked at it again this morning or, or right before we got on the show. In fact, Bradley told you I didn't have my headphones on. I was reading over your bio again. Something on your bio struck out to me. It just shot out to me, and I wanted to talk about it. And it's exactly what Bradley's talking about right now. And this is something I'm wildly curious about when I talk to agents like yourself who have been super successful, overcome 
not only challenges in business, like you and I both said, just didn't have many people wanting to help us, but we also overcame our upbringing, right? You mentioned it real briefly when you started this show. You said, hey, I, I didn't grow up in the best. Let me tell you something, brother. Me and you could probably swap war stories all day long about how we grew up, what we grew up with. And it would be fun. I hope we get to do that in person one day. I'd love that. Absolutely. But you, here's what struck out, stuck out to me, okay? You ready? He started insurance at the beginning of 08 and started in a commercial sales role working with contractors and trucking. He left in 2012. Is that right? Am I right about that? So I think the date, so I was 08 to 2010, joined the new firm in 2010, 14, became a partner of the firm, and then... I've been there ever since. I'm here ever since. Here, so. Here's what I'm wild. Here, here's the story I want to hear. And I love to ask agency owners, partners, your partner. Yep. Why'd you leave that first firm? Good question. Yeah. And uh, I think it, so <laughs> funny story. Because this kind of dovetails, this dovetails into yeah. what Bradley was just talking it, about, right? It does. So I actually was sitting there kind of reflecting and thinking he's talking about managers and having people within for guidance and mentorship. Sure. It was an office with me and one of my best friends who had never done anything remotely like what we were doing. Right. We had started a vending machine business prior to this to like, we knew we wanted to get into business. We knew we wanted to make money. That's what we knew. His cousin. Y'all were, agency, y'all were hustlers. Y'all were hustlers. Now we're, get, now we're getting there. His cousin owned an agency in California. They focused on work comp. Mm. So I'm in Washington state. And for those that know, work comps monopolistic. Sure. So we came into a state trying to sell work comp to contractors in Washington. That's how we legit started quickly realized, Oh shit, you can't sell work comp in Washington. Everyone's wanting it because it's controlled by the state. We then had to like shift focus on the fly Cause we had no mentors. We had no guidance. Literally right. the, the way that we came in was like, here's the app. Here's the carriers. Here's the phone book. You went, you went to Florida and said, I'm going to sell wind insurance to everybody right. and Liberty Mutual's going to ride it. <laughs> sure. Man, we didn't even have Liberty Mutual. I'd have been ecstatic. Had we, had. <laughs> and we did it like the, the crazy. So anyway, so fast forward, he ended up leaving brokerage side. He's super successful on an MGA side. He's awesome. I'm still good friends with him. I kind of was on my own, isolated, working, doing well as a young 20 some year old, doing well in sales, working remote, working from home, kind of you know, living a good lifestyle, played in a softball tournament with a friend. His wife was one of the partners at this agency where I'm at. He says, Hey, you really need to talk to my wife. They're looking at hiring some folks and bringing on some talent sales, whatever. I'm obviously one to not turn down food, you know, look at me or a meeting really is what it was an opportunity to expand my relationships, network or opportunity chatted, it evolved from there. She hired me. I came in kind of as her assistant, if, if you will, as a sales capacity, also now learning how to manage a book. They were primarily personal lines. I did that. I learned how to sell personal lines. I learned how to manage a book personal lines. I, honestly, I'm, I'm much better in the commercial role. It's a lot more exciting to me. I, I'm more at home in a commercial role. But um, So that was kind of that. Along this whole journey and talking to her, she was very good about being a mentor in the sense that what do you want to do? What do you want to do long-term? What does your plan and vision look like? Like, what are your dreams and aspirations? And so for me, it was like, I want to be an owner. I want to know how this works. I want to know how this runs. I want to, you know, I'm young. I've got a lot of time and a lot of opportunity ahead of me. 
how does the working of an agency actually work? So I took that time and that period of four years side by side at her desk, looking at the books, looking at profit and loss, understanding um, everything to do with the actual agency as an employee, quote unquote, producer in the mindset of I want to be an owner. That's where I see a lot of producers fail. They don't want to get or put in the extra work unless they're getting rewarded or compensated or paid. They want Mm -hmm. to become an owner without putting in the work that's required ahead of time that you don't get paid for Mm -hmm. or you don't quote unquote, get reimbursed or compensated for Like, I'm not coming in on a weekend. I'm not going to work extra hours or I'm not going to show up and like reconcile commission statements for the hell of it. Like I did all this. Hey, 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 before you keep going, sorry, before you keep going, are you still friends with this lady? Absolutely. I just played in a industry golf event with her just the other day. Give her a shout out. Molly Smith. And in fact, she's over at Liberty Mutual now, Safeco. Um, She went in as an advisor to their marketing team and there was a division created to get insurance agencies marketing. Um, So she was a high up in that with Gabe here in the Northwest. And she's now such transition to a marketing rep. I want to say her territory is Oregon or something like that. But yes, uh, great friends with Molly. Molly Smith, huge shout out. I owe her a tremendous, tremendous amount to my success. It's why I say too, Cameron, and I've been on, I've been harping on this a lot lately. There is a lot, there are a lot of agency owners, small agencies. A lot of times they're an owner, the only, they're their only employee that would be phenomenal number twos at an agency. And and I want to get your take on this. If you're starting your own agency for anything other than you want to run the show and you want to you want to run the business, it's probably the wrong reason. If you're starting your own agency because you want to sell more, that's the wrong <laughs> and make or, or make more money. That's the wrong because running an agency is not selling insurance. No. Now, there's a lot of people who run agencies who sell insurance, but they're in fact not running their agency. Well, they, they kind of have to because when you start, yes. you kind of have to. You have to, to when you start. You have to when you start. But what you just described, which is, would as Scott would say, bore the spots off of Dalmatian, reconciling commissions, running P&Ls, ordering supplies, that's running an agency. Right. That's the kind of stuff you have to do. That's the kind of stuff you're going to do, not the not sell more insurance. If you want to sell a bunch of insurance, find an agency that's set up for sales and set up for salespeople and go to work there. You will make more money there long-term and short-term and be more successful than you will starting an agency. Now, the other side of that, Cameron, I want you to speak to this. It's something that Bradley and I are kind of both dealing with right now. Each one of us has a rock star producer, okay, rock star. Clint Norrell makes more money every year than I do. He made – I was in Jamaica doing my bathing suit photo shoot for for Banana Boat last week, two weeks ago. Congrats on getting that again, by the way. No problem, $1.75 million. I'm I'm available uh, for anybody else that needs a sponsor, needs a great actor. A-list, first class. Got an email, had internet connection in Jamaica. I got an email to my bookkeeper with commissions for the previous month. So we're in August, so this was commissions for July. Clint Orr on that list. Now I'm in Jamaica, $30,000 in commissions. Mm-hmm. That's solid. Isn't it? That's, awesome. there's a whole, that's almost in one month what a damn school teacher makes in a whole year. Mm-hmm. But the problem that Bradley and I are both faced with is we both have producers and I hate to tell Bradley's business, but I talked to her after you left last night. They both have been on that hamster wheel of sales for years. 
10 plus years and they both want to see a light at the end of that tunnel that does not include them working 60 hours a week and writing the same kind of accounts because the problem with having rock star producers in a niche and Cameron I want you to speak to this a little bit because you probably feel this a little bit maybe even yourself after you've written 675 and maybe not that many 250 trucking accounts or 570 property investor accounts it's a little bit like playing the same damn video game 700 times (laughs) yeah it gets it gets kind of boring now granted money's good a lot of agents listening to this right now wish they'd gotten a thirty thousand dollar paycheck last month and i know you got to take taxes out and all that shit but but guess what? If you're an agency owner, that thirty thousand you'd have had to pay expenses with it. It would have been nothing, right? Correct. As well, you know. So, so speak to that a little bit, Cameron. What do we do about that? I don't even know what I do about that. That's hard. That's tough. You know, it's um, it's funny. I think that's a constant struggle of uh, high level people on how to keep them engaged, compensated, mm-hmm. rewarded. How to grow them right. as a individual, a person, a business minded, per- like whatever they want to focus on. And so, part of what I do. My biggest challenge is actually finding people that want to show up and work and come make 100K plus first year. That's my challenge. Um, But what I try to do is invest because I've got mentors such as, uh, you know, Billy Wagner, um, Chris Paradiso. Like there's a bunch of folks that like I look up to. There's not a ton in this industry, but there's a select few that like over the years have made a huge impact on me. So I pick up the phone, call them, chat with them, talk through these things. And I try to do goal planning make them write a business plan. This will actually be kind of similar to what David Carruthers does, obviously in the killing commercial. I like the mindset because these are individual people that quote unquote, run their own business within you, but it's their own brand. The the prospect or client or whoever is buying from them, not your product, right? Not your agency, not the insurance company. They're buying from them. So what can I do to keep them going and growing and expanding. And if and, and if that goal is to own an agency or branch out on their own or satellite off an agency, great. But what I find is, is a lot of good producers are not business owners. And so right. like I try to develop them in a way that they want to be developed and keep reinforcing what I didn't have and what I didn't know. And I'm just so head down, grind, get through it is after you get past three, five years, you know, six, seven years, there's plateaus that you start to get above. And it's like, you know, it's like, holy shit. And I just made 50 K in a month. Okay. That's cool. And your target can't be money. You cannot chase money or premium or big accounts because you're making a payday. It will never work. In my opinion, I think some people might do it and maybe be successful, but what a miserable existence if you're dealing with people you don't want to deal with or enjoy or like just because you want to make some money. That sounds not great to me. I think early on as a producer, when you're starving and you need to eat and like Mm -hmm. you'll hunt and gather and you'll write anything to make money, it's a different, but once you're comfortable, once you've now are trophy hunting, quote unquote, or, you know, it's hunting season for big game, if you will, it's a different mindset, different strategy, different approach. And so I know Bradley wanted to touch on a little bit about a podcast. So what I did with my niche producers, Scott, is we created, it it actually evolved from them talking. They said, Hey, we want to put out a weekly video on a topic to our trucking clients or the, the prospects or the internet, whatever. Within three minutes, I said, 
and actually, I don't know if we can cuss on this, but I said, F it. Let's, uh, ahead, uh, okay. I said, fuck it. Let's, uh, we're doing a podcast <laughs> like within three right. minutes. We know nothing about a podcast. In fact, you guys are some of that inspiration. I had been on a couple podcasts prior to this, David Carruthers and, and a couple others. And I'm like, what a great idea. Like what a cool platform to be on. It's, it, it's kind of, you know, not that it was new cause it's not, you got Howard Stern and all these people that have done very well. But for me, what a cool way to grow the producer, get them engaged, get them in the niche, get them into that industry where they're mm, providing help value them build their brand. Back. Yeah. Yeah. Building a brand too. It, it's a separate brand for us, but driven by Valley trucking insurance, if that makes sense, kind of a play on there. But um, so then what it did is now, we're starting to establish ourselves as industry professionals and we're like involved in what is, you know, going on in their world. And Mm -hmm. so I encourage them to get involved in the associations, state, federal, different groups, the local sales force, the local people that are in the industry, just be one of them, understand the language, get in the LinkedIn and the Facebook Mm -hmm. groups, understand what's important to the niche that you're going after. Obviously trucking specific for what I do. And I thought, man, a truck driver drives all day. How cool is it to have a podcast? Hopefully we can capture them. And I think data says if somebody listens to a podcast, you get them for 28 minutes. Let's see it. Fucking let's go. Right. (laughs) I've said often, and you guys have heard me say this, I think the two best ways to become known in a niche are either A, start a podcast in said niche, right? And your niche may be that you're the insurance agent for Beaumont, Louisiana. Right. You're going to start the Beaumont, Louisiana business podcast, right? Or if you're in something like trucking, that sort of thing, or sponsor podcasts in that niche. So if your niche is contractors, find a contractor podcast. Every industry has the Ryan Hanley's of that industry, the David Carruthers of that industry, the Billy Wagner's, Matt Namoli's. Find those people, find their podcast and sponsor them. And let me I think add those are the something. two best ways to get known. You notice he yeah, didn't say Let Scott me add Howell. some to that. Our the podcast, Scott Howells of the I industry. Was, yeah, of, complete of the the yeah, sunscreen Scott. industry. The sunscreen industry has <laughs> Scott right. Howell. That's right. Banana boat. I'm Scott, Scott and Bradley. I want to add something to that too. So like I'm unique and like Bradley was saying, don't you have a podcast? Well, that's probably because he sees LinkedIn or me tagged on certain things. I don't talk about insurance. I'm not pushing and selling a product on my podcast. The only people that want to listen to that shit are other insurance people (laughs) like like us that are sick. And it's like, we're Mm. motivated and want to talk about it. Our people don't, our clients don't, they know they have to pay it. They don't like paying it. Some Mm -hmm. are a little bit better and better clients than others and whatever, but I think we can help them. And if we identify and figure out Mm -hmm. because we come from a place of educating and we want to make them better and coaching our client to be better and be best in practice and be better than best in practice. That's why the podcast was born. It's our way to give back and educate and like essentially like groom our clients. Well, well, here's the thing too. So the average person, when they are listening to a pot, let's say you're a trucker and they come across your podcast, whether you know it or not, they're thinking, they're going to look at you. They're going to, they're going to research you and they're be like, what's this dude do? Oh, he sells insurance. He's trying to sell me insurance. So you don't have to bring up that you sell XYZ product because sure. your listeners already going to know that's what this is for. But then when they listen to it and you don't try to shove it down their throat, right? It's going to have the opposite effect. And going, man, man, you know, Cameron, he could have tried to sell me, but he didn't. And then you gain a level of trust with the yep. listener 
and therefore they want to do business with you. Yeah, you build an altitude with them. I keep kicking this freaking light over over here. I'm it's, it's staying down now. <laughs> hey, Cameron, I've got something that I'm wildly interested in. Bradley knows more than anybody because I will call him screaming and yelling about how contractors are nothing but liars, thieves, and crooks. Every one that I've ever tried to write, we ended up having problems with, or they get an audit and they're not going to pay it because blah, blah, blah. And then the other niche that you write in or that your people write in is the trucking business. Did you just say, man, I just really hate myself. I want to hate myself more. Right. I want to contracting trucking. So, and, and the trucking business, they're constantly changing drivers. They're constantly changing out trucks. To me, it's like a living, breathing E&O claim. Because if you're not keeping up with all that, oh, and we, oh, Cameron, I'm sorry. We bought a brand new 2022 Kenworth three months ago, and we forgot to call you and put it on our policy. We wrecked it. Is that covered? How on God's green earth do you deal with the service side of contractors and trucking business? I'm wildly interested in that. Yeah, for sure. And it's taken a lot of um, building tearing down, rebuilding, use of automation, use of audit points. And really the biggest thing that I've done is I've broken every step of the process down to what we want for the desired outcome. What is the impact to the customer's experience and journey with us? How can we make their day better from a customer service standpoint? But inherently, how are we not missing those things? We've created simple and I've, I've you know, I just listen to other people that you guys have, like uh, Billy Williams and other folks that talk and share, create policy standards or agency standards, I should say. What are the standards, minimum standards of coverage that this niche or client or whatever has to have? And if they don't have it, we're screaming at the client to get it Right. every time we interact with them. Now, my service staff, my virtual employees, my receptionists, my people in training, my account managers, junior account managers, producers, everyone knows when they look at an account if it's deficient. Right. That's a highlight point that we need to point out. The other thing is, is it starts with uh, producers writing good business. So we do, from a sales standpoint, an IDP, so an initial disqualification process, get to know and learn and ask questions and basically be a good steward of what we can bring to the table and find out if they're the right fit for our agency. I use the uh, analogy and maybe it was Carruthers that said this, I don't remember, but basically like you got a round table, 10 chairs, one's open. Does this client deserve a seat with your nine best clients? Mm, mm. And if they do, they can have it. If they don't, you're taking away time from these other really good clients of yours, right? Your ideal prospects. You really got to think about that. But man, it's been, um, you know, knock on wood, <laughs> like we've been good on E&O for years. I think uh, I remember one E&O claim from like something I wrote I knew nothing about was like a yep. pawn shop or a jewelry store. Right. And with the name of jewelers, something come to find out their jewelers block only covered X, but then the underwriter didn't. Include, I mean, it was a nightmare and it got pinned on us as an E&O claim. Um, and so from that point on, I'm like, okay, we're not writing any and everything just to write it to be that resource, you know. So my folks um, are all required to, well, <laughs> maybe not required, but heavily encouraged, basically required to take higher education and training and continuing ed. And so for one of my carrier partners um, with Great West Casualty, they have a, essentially like a star. It's a star designation similar to like a trip designation, similar to like your, you know, CIC or CPCU type type 
training, right? Higher level training and are specific to trucking and transportation. So we sit with attorneys, we sit with um, claims, we, un, you know, we break down the contract, the policy language, the ISO form, what's the differences in um, the different policies. The other area of focus is like understanding the niche and understanding what they deal with. So what is the bill of lading? What is the contracts they sign look like? What are the carriers that they work with, the brokers they work with? What type of claims come from these? What type of work are they actually doing, which then dictates what coverage they actually need? Because what I do most of my time and I actually still sell. So I know you mentioned like business operators and sales and stuff like that. I, I look at myself in our agency, like if I were to go on the bench, it's like putting, and I'm not Michael Jordan, but it's like putting your best player off the floor right. on the bench to try to help the rest of the team. And I'm trying to lead from a, maybe a captain standpoint. Right. I'm in the trenches with you. I still produce two, three, four, 500,000 a month in business. I'm doing all these things I'm telling you guys to do it works. Now I've got a team, I've built up processes and I've built around me to help me facilitate this, but I'm there doing it. I'm going through the cold calls. If they need help, I'll pick up the phone and cold call with them. Man, that was my bread and butter back in the day. So I love doing that kind of stuff. And I don't think there's anything wrong with an owner selling as long as the owner wants to sell. You just can't rely on that, you know? No, you can't. At a certain point, you can't outgrow a team of people. And so I've really been focused on training myself out of a job, if you will. How do I get my other people to replace what needs to be done in these big, big ass commitments I've made to carriers and like this level of growth that we're wanting to achieve? But I'm also sick where I'm like, man, I love doing that. <laughs> so yeah. I'm, like, mm-hmm. I'm still in it. Uh, it's just different, though. It's a different game. Um, so, you know, it's like communication amongst all teams, going the same direction, making sure we meet regularly, making sure we squash issues before they become issues, making sure that if the sales has an issue over here with something that's going on in service and vice versa, and everyone has this minimum expectation and standards of how it needs to be done. And if it's not getting done, I know who to go to and I know who to talk to in the process. Where did it break down? How do we identify that? And then then I can deal with it, right? Hey, hey Cameron, you, you threw out an acronym earlier I want to talk a little bit about. IDP, Initial declination process is that right we say initial disqualification process now i don't want producers to lean too heavy on like turning business out the door because that's not the purpose but it's built in a way that you ask questions to know the intent of this client why they're shopping where they came from where they referred why did they buy who they bought from last time have they had a good or bad experience are there can we help this person other than Hey, I just need a quote. And if you can save me a few bucks, I'll, I'll sign over. I turn down people to quote frequently because I get a ton of referrals. They're paying two, three, four hundred thousand dollars $400,000. But after we get through this process, it's like, man, you're not ready. You don't need my help. Right. Or you're not willing to take my help. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to quote it. How do you, tur- how do you turn down a prospect you don't want? I've been having this conversation. I just let them know like, Hey, it doesn't sound like you're ready to like accept change. And it sounds like you trust who you're working with. You've mm-hmm. got a good product. You're just trying to save some money. I understand it, but there's going to be some fundamental changes you need to make, I think as a trucking company. And if you're ready and willing to take some coaching, great, let's work together. We'll help you. We'll get you in our program, our, additional services and all that to get you where you need to. But if you can't tell me you're willing to do that, mm-hmm. I don't need practice quoting. I've done this for a long time. You don't need another quote. What you need is actual help. I like You that. need an actual agent that's on your side that understands it, not just someone that you took because they were 10 grand cheaper. And now you're having issues because you feel what happened. You wrote, you got a shitty product. You get what you pay for. Right. So, well, well, and it's interesting too. So I saw a TikTok video this morning 
and it was a former, at least a former college football player, maybe former professional, I'm not sure. He was talking about when he got recruited by Alabama. Mm-hmm. And I know our listeners get tired of us talking about college football, but that's all people in Alabama <laughs> think about, especially right now. Oh, my God. And he, he was talking about how Nick Saban's approach was so much different than every other coach. He said, every single other coach that I talked to really kissed my tail, told me how great I was. Right. You're going to be the best ever. You're going to be drafted in the first round. Start as a yeah, freshman. Start as a freshman. All the stuff. Nick Saban did the exact opposite. Right. Which made me want to play for him more. Right. All these other coaches blow smoke up my butt, but but I got the real, straight, true, honest answer. Right. And my brain automatically went to insurance. So I think agents are guilty of this sometimes, and I know I'm guilty of it sometimes, of the prospect calling and we're so excited or, or, or we called them and we're so excited they're willing to talk to us that we look like a little puppy dog trying to, right. you know what I mean? It's like, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We bend over backwards to do everything when what we should do is take the Nick Saban approach, give them the real honest, true answer, make it seem like it's a privilege to do business with us because right. it is. Right. And control the rules of the game to set the rules of the game not the other way around because that's how you end up getting practice quoting right cameron and we had a prospect a few weeks ago that it was the third or fourth time he's reached out to us every (laughs) single time he does not want to play by our rules right and and i'm not and i'm not bragging on myself but this one worked out pretty well when i said look here's the thing like we're going to need all the information up front okay sure perfect well, then it came down to it. He didn't want to give that information. Right. And so I sent him an email and basically said, hey, look, here's the deal. Transparency is one of our core values. We're transparent with our clients. We expect them to be transparent with us. It doesn't sound like you trust us very much. Therefore, we can't. But no, 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 no. Here you go. Here's the stuff you need. Right. But set, don't be scared as an agent to walk away from the deal. Now, you don't want to be turning business away in droves. But operate from a standpoint of that you're not scared to walk away from this. And it almost shifts the power dynamic of right. like, now this person has to play by my rules. And it makes it a whole lot easier to quote business efficiently. Hey, Cameron, and that's one of the best points you've ever brought up on this podcast. And I have never agreed with anything more than I do with everything you just said. Cameron, I only hear salty agents like me and you that kind of have this alpha personality the way you and I do. And most of them have been doing this a long time, but I love the line that you said earlier. And I've heard two or three guys. I heard Steve Hoggle. Steve Hoggle has been selling insurance. He's in Gunnersville, Alabama. He's got a really nice independent agent. Steve's a good agent. Uh, hadn't talked to Steve in a long time, but he, he said that line to me years ago. And when he said it to me, I was still a puppy dog. You know, Bradley brought up the puppy dog thing. Mm-hmm. And I remember the first time he ever said it to me, I thought, oh, my God, I could never say that to somebody. And here today, I'm saying the same thing Cameron said. And that line is, I don't need any more practice quoting. Mm-hmm. Now, you got to be a salty dog to say that to somebody. <laughs> but, buddy, the guys I know that do it, it works. Mm-hmm. And I've got to where I, I will say that to people. I'll say, look, let me tell you something. I've been doing this a long time, and my people have all. I, we 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 totaled up the other day. I think my agents in my agency have something like eighty-two years of experience. Eighty-two mm-hmm. years. Ain't none of us need any more, mm-hmm. any more uh, practice quoting. Mm-hmm. 
And I love that line. I guess my final question for you today, and it's something that's been on my heart and it's something been in my, on my mind and it's something I've been hearing insurance agents talk about since I started in 2008. The line is, Cameron, how do we as independent agents and separate agencies, three of us sitting here today, you hear agents at these conferences and podcasts and things talk all the time about differentiating yourself. You mentioned it just mm-hmm. a second ago. Something I've been thinking a lot about. And you always talk about, well, everybody talks about customer service. I mean, that's kind of the one yeah. thing. We're different because we're customer. We give outstanding customer service. We give outstanding. That's the pat answer. <laughs> the best. <laughs> how how do you think we as an agency at iProtect Insurance, not knowing context of who I have or what I have, but just every agency listening to this right now, how can you truly sit down, clear eyes, full heart, and decide what are why, what are we different? How are we different? I've been thinking a lot about this lately. How are we really different? Like truly, how are we different? What are your thoughts on that, Cameron? And I know I'm I getting deep. That, I'm getting philosophical here. No, and it's it's a good one. And I think um, the more I hear, I hear this try, shit all the time. You got <laughs> a different. It, it, here, it here's the pad is. line. Every yeah. freaking insurance agent in America does it. That's a that's the quote unquote thought leaders. Yeah, you've got to dif- special. You, I'm you, more you, special you gotta, than this you, person. You've got to differentiate. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. You got to differentiate yourself. Okay, son bitch. How do I do yeah. that? How do I do? And I think myself? a lot of folks, the more different they want to be, they start to look the same, right? <laughs> right. Be more different, but it's all the same now. It's the same shit. I think what I try to focus on is a couple things: core values, have that integrity, know the place you're coming from, and why you're doing what you're doing. What are we doing? What's the impact and difference in these people's lives that I'm making, potentially making, or know that I'm making on their behalf that they don't understand yet? They will hopefully not understand, but if they do have to come to claim time, like I know I did my job. Right. I know I did my job to the best of my abilities. And then having the education, I think it's constant growth, constant education, constant. If you're going to specialize in a niche, like you got to understand it. Like I know that oh, Bradley, man. I'm guessing Scott, you guys at Progressive, y'all could write a trucking account, no problem. Yeah, we'd screw you know, it up. Yeah, we'd, we'd trucker. Yeah, we'd screw it up seven ways to Sunday, but we uh, could. I mean, but it might come out cheaper, and that person might buy from you, and that person <laughs> might have a claim, <laughs> and well, then you might be fucked. That's um, definitely going to happen. Well, and yeah, and two, so. I think two, when you acknowledge that you're not really different from everybody else, you're not that different. Mm-hmm. Then you can real then you can really find the the ways you are different. Yeah, the rest I think is just PR for yourself and fluffing. When you acknowledge that you're really not that different from everybody else, right? It makes it clearer to see how you are different. So uh, let me give you an example, Cameron. And I I was hanging on every word you just said. Truly, I was. But at the same time, this other side of my little small raccoon brain was thinking to myself. How is I protect insurance different? Truly, like really, like no bullshit, no, oh, we're customer fucking, whatever. And the first thing that I thought of was I have an entire stable of attorneys on my phone mm-hmm. that I can, I can say, and I do it all the time. Hey, you're not happy with how a claim's going and I can't get anything done with it. And you just feel like you are being just so mistreated. Here you go. I can give you three attorneys right now. In fact, uh, sometimes I'll have them call my dad. 
I've had him call my dad. You know what? Talk to my dad. Just see what he says. He's only been suing insurance companies for 37 years, so he might know what he's talking about. That's one. Mm-hmm. Because most insurance agencies don't have that. Yeah. And they don't have that kind of what Bradley just said, the balls, if you will, to tell a customer, you know what? If you're not happy, mm-hmm. don't worry about TV attorneys. I got about four right here on my phone. I'll send you. That's number one. And then I start thinking about the podcast. Mm-hmm. This is while Cameron was talking just a minute ago, and I thought, you and I specifically have, and I'm going to sound bougie or whatever right now, we have contacts in the insurance industry that ain't many people got. I've called a carrier CEO before when somebody filed a claim with that carrier and said, hey, this needs to be handled. I know you have. Now, to me, that's a pretty big differentiator, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. I'm going to think some more on that. Yeah. But that'd be a good people. team exercise too. Yeah, it would. Yeah, it would. Just make sure you're the last one to speak. Hear everybody. <laughs> make everybody right. go first. Right, Cameron. See how many. Take a tally of how many customer services you get. Let me tell you what I love about this man on this podcast right now. I'm gonna meet this guy one day. You Spokane, Washington? Is that where you are? Yes, sir. I may come visit you. Let me tell you what I know about him, and he's not said much about it. This guy's a hustler. Yep. It wouldn't matter if he was selling insurance, air conditioners, vending machine business. He's street smart, and he's going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You still got that vending machine business, or did y'all let that go? Yeah, we let, we sold them off on eBay real quick after okay. we figured out what insurance makes. <laughs> right, 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 right. No, I understand. Selling Snickers bars. Hey, Cameron. Make, make a little bit less money than you do right trucking. I want to know one more question, and then we're going to get off this podcast. I'm going to drive 732 hours home tonight, and I'm going to be thinking about you while I'm driving home. Some, some not the whole time. Yeah, perfect. Honored. Tell me your 10-year plan, five-year and 10-year plan. You just um, going to keep building it yeah. till one day it's, it's time to sell and take your chips off the table or what? You know, that question scares my wife. That question scares my staff. That question scares a lot of people. I feel like, cause like, is that, me, does that scare them? Because there are days when you go home and you say, I'm getting out of this shit. I'm tired of this. No, nah, man, I don't, I know, I know what I, I love this industry. Okay. I love what I do. I love the position that I'm in. So I look at people selling young people, friends of ours. You mentioned a couple, even on the podcast. Right. And it's like, I got scared and I took a couple meetings about mergers, acquisitions, buyouts, that kind of stuff. And I'm like, they're like, what's the number? What's the thing? And I'm like, I'm scared that if I say the number, because it's so outrageous. <laughs> You're going to say, they'll, okay. <laughs> they'll, well, that's, they'll actually say yes. And I'm like, shit, what do I do? And then what do I do day two when I wake up? I don't know what that means. But for me, where I'm at with the journey, what I'm building, um, where I'm wanting to go and grow the different pillars of the agency with diversification. It's not just trucking. We've got other facets in the business. Um, right now on my journey, I'm a builder. I'm, that's how you keep, like you said, you keep from playing the same game. You, you, I know a lot about marketing. I know a lot about accounting. I know a lot about sales. I know a lot about sales psyche. And I'd spend a ton of time educating myself, reading books, learning from people, listening to smart people like you guys and trying to give to others. And so like the value I get is coaching my clients, coaching my team, coaching my people, trying to make my people better in any way I can. And if they, if that means them leaving, moving on to another career, I hope that I made them 10x what they were when they started right so that they go fetch what they're worth long term so for now it's fulfilling where i'm at and i I think we will last year we grew by 40 percent year over year for revenues 
we've consistently hit, you know, 10 to 15, 20% growth year over year, pretty much since I started. And I look at that like, okay, how do we, how do we become bigger? How do we make more of an impact? How do we change this industry for the better? How do I influence more people? So there, there's some things in the works coming up. The podcast is cool. It's opened a lot of doors, made a lot of connections. Um, there's some opportunities coming down the pipe that I now have to look at and say, okay, can I invest in this? Can I take my time and do some other endeavors that are going to ultimately help us? Right? right. So I've got some opportunities to look at, which will be sweet. So cool. I have so many more questions for him. We got to go. <laughs> we'll time, have him man. on again. Pick up the phone. Get my cell phone, Scott, and call me. Cameron, thank you for being on today. I yeah, hope, I hope between the three of us, we were able to help some agents today in some shape, form, or fashion. Uh, I wish you nothing but the best. I want to spend more time with you. I'd like to spend a couple of days with you up there. Yeah, man. I'd love that. Bradley Flowers, I always say it at the end of the podcast. I'm going to say it at the beginning of the end i love you love you too buddy i appreciate you first of all uh but the team that we have here today ran thank you so much for being here and being a part of this our podcast has never looked better on film i can't wait to see it than what it does right now mm -hmm. brand brandon i appreciate you too brother thank you for your honesty and i know uh you're starting a new career here with portal insurance and i hope it's Everything that both you and Bradley want it to be, you're in a good spot. Take full advantage of it. Don't screw it up. <laughs> but thank you, Bradley, for putting all this together. I mean, this is – you guys can't see it from our end. Complex. Between the 14 cameras and all the people here and everybody watching in person, Cameron, we appreciate you taking time out. You've probably gotten – 17 calls just in the hour that we've been on this podcast with you. And I appreciate you taking time out to do that. And anyway, I can give back. I'm appreciative to be on here and humbled and grateful that you guys invited me. Keep hustling brother. And I know, Hey, let me tell you something I know about you. You ain't going to quit. Mm -mm. You've been doing it your whole life. <laughs> no, guys, sir. you are listening to the insurance guys podcast. Thank you so much for being a part of our family. Go out there today. Hustle. Make money for your family, for your wife, for your kids' college fund, for your parents that are struggling out there. Give them the life that Cameron and I did not have growing up. And we can get into that one day if you want to. Give them that life. It's something I'm very proud of. My son's gotten so much more than I ever had growing up. And uh, hopefully one day, not today because he didn't give a shit, but one day maybe he'll be appreciative of that. <laughs> I don't know. But we love you guys. Thank you so much for being a part of our family. And as I always end, we'll see you back real soon. Take care. Thanks for listening to the Insurance Guys podcast. If you need to know more about me or you need to get in touch with Scott, you can always reach me at theinsuranceguyonline.com or email me at scott at iprotectinsurance.com. And if you need to get in touch with Mr. Bradley Flowers, go to portalinsurance.com or email him at bradley at portalinsurance.com. Guys, we love you. Thank you so much for listening to our show and being a part of our family. And we look forward to seeing you again next week on the next episode of the Insurance Guys podcast. Take care. <laughs>